Today I'm here with Dominique Bacaba, who's Executive Director of Strong Roots, which is a conservation and sustainable development NGO working closely with indigenous people in the Congo Basin Forest of the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Hi, Dom. Hi. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Really interested to hear from you as an African leader working within conservation within the DRC. Should we start by talking a bit about Strong Roots, the NGO that you established? Yeah, uh, Strong Roots is an NGO, a conservation NGO based here in Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo. And we work um, especially with uh, local communities and indigenous people uh, to protect uh, forest species, focusing on people. So the idea is actually to, our projects are focusing mainly on great apes conservation here. When we talk about great apes, it's not just great apes, but also other species and forests and communities relying on great apes habitat for subsistence. So Strong Roots was created in 2009, and um, our projects are currently based at Kahuzibiega National Park and Itombwe Nature Reserve. And now we are working with seven chiefdoms, supporting them, uh, developing a corridor linking both protect areas is um, the idea of extending the habitat of retapes here. Yeah, I think people are familiar that eastern lowland gorillas are at um, critical risk of extinction. Can you give us a bit of context around uh, how they're doing as a species? Yeah, um, we've lost uh, 77% of uh, eastern lowland gorillas the last 20 years. And um, this has been time of brittle uh, political unrest here in Democratic Republic of Congo, DRC. And uh, the main driver for this dramatic decline of the species, not just gorillas, but also chimpanzees, elephants, and others, the main driver was not only the wars, the successive wars we've, we've known here in DRC, but also illegal mining, um, illegal mining, sometimes um, accompanied by wildlife trade, poaching. Um, and uh, as law enforcement was almost in existence, most of these illegal mining activities were happening inside protected areas. So it was really hard to maintain that. And uh, that's why we are putting efforts together to ensure that we can protect the remaining retapes population's habitat. Yeah, it seems just such an impossibly difficult and complex um, environment to work in, where it's not simply the issues around best approaches to biodiversity, but it's a a very hostile environment with a lot of people with interests in the resources of the forest. Exactly, because actually there is um, a huge overlap between areas which are rich in minerals and those where gorillas are inhabiting. So it's a big challenge um, on how to maintain the mineral exploitation and the biodiversity conservation. But I'm happy that everybody is getting engaged, including the government of DRC and the local communities, traditional rulers, and other conservation bodies. We are all getting together to see how we can ensure that we protect these species. Otherwise, you know, they are endemic for this region. Yes. And if they are gone here, they'll be gone forever. Yeah. So, what about funding for this work? 
we are doing our best. And uh, I remember our president giving a speech last time and he was saying that although the richness of the DRC in terms of biodiversity and others, we only attract 1% of the global funding for conservation. That's another big issue because it's not only that government doesn't have the capacities of doing this, but also I think they don't have also enough uh, funding, not just the government, but, but also as a conservation bodies. They are very limited financially to ensure that they can really protect this um, huge potential of biodiversity. Mm. It, it sounds that you're left to do incredibly challenging work, but with little resources to do it. Exactly. Um, the challenges are not just money, but also the policies, the complexity of the international politics and international economics. As I said, all companies from the West are focusing on DRC for mining. At the same time, DRC counts more than 80% of African forests. Um, you know, it's, it's just a challenge. And uh, also, when I talk about policies, I'm talking about what we consider it as uh, modern conservation, where colonial came and said, this is how we have to do conservation. Yes. And uh, at the end of the day, we found that it didn't work. Because as a result, not just in DRC, but globally, you can see the rate of species decline. You can see how deforestation is going high everywhere. I understand that population globally is also increasing, which means that needs of, of natural resources are also increasing. Yes, of course, nature is intrinsic to our sense of who we are. How does nature manifest within the identity of local communities? I think the biggest mistake we made was to think that humans were enemies of nature. Yes. And we didn't understand that uh, human and nature uh, live together. I consider human as element of nature. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think the modern conservation didn't care or didn't understand, I'd say, the cultural value of forests, especially in Africa. Yeah. So no nature without culture, no culture without nature. I, remember, I don't remember who said that again, but that's true exactly. So we, we value our forest not because of the money they provide to us, not because of the medicine, not because of everything, but mostly because of uh, the possibilities of perpetuating our culture. Um, you know, our culture is our identity, and it's totally related to forest, to water, to land, to wind, to everything. And when we lose those forests, we lose that. And you, separ you separate these people from their forests. You, you kill their culture, you, you, in other words, you ask them to die because then they don't have a culture to perpetuate and what do they become? So that's a big challenge, I think, is the modern conservation as a yeah. What is that like working in conservation, having uh, an indigenous-led model which places uh, the importance of humans and human culture within biodiversity? What's it like advancing that approach within a Western framework, just sort of linking back to funding, which typically is coming from Western organisations? How easy is uh, it to, to be able to enact what you know to, to work in terms of traditional ecological knowledge? Actually, we still have a long way to go because um, I think we are in a way to make our fellows from the West to understand that there is another way to do things. I cannot say it's been approved, but 
people think that money and science come from the West, mm. and that's what we have to follow to do conservation. I do not agree totally. I think that the West, our fellows, should understand that we may come up with great ideas, which they probably don't understand. Mm-hmm. They should just trust us and make these ideas, uh, you know, applied and see, uh, you know, because it will be impossible to continue. To, it will be impossible to think that we can maintain what we have today by the previous models, the previous conservation models. It's not working. It will never work. It's going to create more problems, conflicts every day. Mm. We can come up with models which involves actually valuing traditional knowledge and apply them in formal conservation models. You know, I'm sure understanding that we cannot separate human from nature. If we can do that in UK probably or in US or wherever, but in Africa, I'm talking about Central Africa, it's, I mean, it will never work. These people, it's like separating uh, a baby who is nursing from from her mom. You know? Yes. It's impossible. It's integral. That's how we live with the nature. Yeah. From from our own experience, uh, working with um, for us so long time with um, our fellows from the West, from the local people here, I think that we need to unite efforts and ideas. And um, there is no idea to follow. No. I mean, we've tested the colonial conservation model and we all understand that it's not working and uh, where it works is based on creative interests money funding yeah we're making money here we are doing ecotourism people are getting money and helping themselves that's not the value of, of conservation mm. it's not just based on money and it's, 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 it's more than that we need money but um I think the cultural value of, uh, of biodiversities is far away bigger than just the financial uh, thing asset we get from from conservation. So there is no one way to follow. We have to mix ideas and and everything, and um, that's the only one way I think we can save what we have to save today. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I know you've been influential in in advocating the need to listen and involve Indigenous communities. What are the concerns that Indigenous communities are having at the moment in relation to conservation of the Eastern Lowland Gorilla? I'm talking about Kahuzibiega National Park where we are now and just, you know, two years ago, the Indigenous people, we call them pygmy people, they came back in the forest and they started cutting down forests and making charcoal. And uh, some naive organizations, some based in the West, uh, they believed that, oh, the pygmies are coming back in their uh, original lands. And that's wrong. I, I think um, conservationists should understand that they need other domains like sociology, psychology, and those kind of things to help them understanding mm. some things. You know, pygmies, they were kicked out of the Kahuzi Biega National Park with my own community, with my own family in the 70s. 
So these have been three or four generations of people not living inside the forest. What they've been observing is how people are making money, how people are buying motorbikes or mm-hmm. building houses and things like that. They don't have anything of the forest remaining in their mind. So for them, what they need is how we can get make money. They don't have that indigenous ideas from their grandparents and so on. So mm-hmm. when they come back in the forest, instead of feeling the beauty of the forest and staying there, and they start cutting down the forest. So we are counting more than 360 hectares uh, devastated by um, my fellows pygmies. It's not that they don't uh, like gorillas or that they don't know that they are cutting down the um, gorilla habitat, but it's because they've been manipulated by NGOs and, um, you know, believing in so many things and mm. losing their own cultures. Yes. Um, that's, why, that's why I say that, um, you know, these interventions from outside, they can be for good or for bad, mm. because I see how the mentality of my fellow pygmies around Kawasubiega National Park have totally changed yeah. and have they've lost totally the value of the forest. Yeah. Looking at the forest now is everybody, the forest is a source of money. Mm-hmm. We can make charcoal, we can export minerals, we can do logging and have money and live on it. Just say. Yeah. So You can hear the disruption there in their relationship to the natural world in just a few generations. Exactly. And how devastating it is when we become disconnected from, from nature as part of our culture. Exactly. Exactly. I'm talking about pygmies who lived in the forest for centuries, who are the first inhabitants of DRC, who, from whom we learned how to habituate gorillas to human presence in Cajuz Biega, from whom we learned everything. And they are generations, they are first generation from the one who came out of the forest. They are destroying the forest. Mm-hmm. But generally, that's one case, small case around Cajuz Biega. But when we look at other communities and other people around Kauzbiega, around Itomben, in the region here in South Kivu, people are very concerned about the disparation, the extension of Grauris gorillas. So they are very concerned if, for example, we lost Eastern Lowland gorillas. For them, it will be a big shame for them because these species exist only here. Mm-hmm. So they are responsible to ensure that is going on living and if it disappears so it's the responsibility of our own our own people ourselves to say what did we do to really accept the extension of these animals so they are concerned that's why for example these chiefdoms have are offering has offered three thousand square kilometers of forest of their traditional lands to put it under conservation but it's different conservation of the last conservation models. A conservation where local communities and indigenous people have the right of governance and management of, of the area. So that's how they say we can extend the habitat of these animals, that we can uh, connect the remaining population between Kapauzubiega and Itombe and the community forest. So because they are concerned that commitment to protects as much as they can in the way they can. It's a model where the area doesn't become a fortress which keeps people out, that it still includes human presence. Exactly. And this is a model I think other people will look at and say, 
did it work? Can we replicate that somewhere else mm-hmm. on the Congo Basin Forest? Yeah. The first part of our conversation ends here. Join us in part two, where we continue our discussion about conservation methodology and the importance of preserving habitats for people and wildlife.